Hi, I'm Professor Beckstraw. And I'm Professor Eric Bronson, and you're listening to Prison Breakdown. Two, three, break! Eat the spoilers, fun, but we're gonna bust out of here! Two, three, break! Ahoy, dudes, and welcome back to another episode of Prison Breakdown. Ahoy. How's everybody doing today? Outstanding. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Doing great. Producer, editor, Britt, how are you doing over there on the West Coast? Maestro? Uh, I am doing great. It's a nice 55 degrees and rainy over here. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, that's a delight. It's it's. It's a balmy 32 degrees, cloudy, little bit of wintry mix here on Roger Williams University campus, so it doesn't get any better than that in late January, right? I mean, it's kind of a hazy shade of winter. Impossible. I, I do love the Rhode Island winter. Yes. It is mild. Yes. So, I mean, it's it, it's I, so funny. You know, eight years ago when I was coming here to <clears throat> consider getting this job, <laughs> be interviewed the amount of snow that was piled up. It was over my head. I mean, it, there was just mountains of snow everywhere, everywhere across campus and in Rhode Island. And we have had nothing close to that since I've been here. So for seven years, it's just been like this. The the, the winters here are so easy. Um, yeah. But I do miss the snow. I wouldn't mind a little snow here and there. Oh, yeah. for sure. Uh, our Where... I come from my my hometown of Anchorage is I think it's projected to reach its hundred inches of snowfall oh my sometime God. this week. Oh my God! Just just for like this this winter season, um, I, I, an accumulated total of a hundred inches that is, and I believe it's about to be twenty one below this weekend. So I'm wow. happy to not be there. Twenty one below, and that's not the wind chill, huh? That's the that's the temperature, isn't it? That's I couldn't tell you either. That way. just I eat I, oh that just right to the bone. My goodness. It's too cold. Either way, I'm I'm too cold with it. Yeah. It's not for me. Oh, see, enough talk of temperatures, Eric. Oh, well, one thing I want to enough enough of this temp talk. Wanna... People don't listen to the show for temp one talk. One of the things TT. one of the things that is very important that I just found out is, and I'm I'm we got to change this, and maybe we need to rely on producer editor Britt a little bit more. Is I'm looking on Apple Podcasts about our podcast here and it has if you go down to the bottom it has the information about our podcast years active episodes copyright show website rating this is what concerns me our rating is clean how do you have a podcast about prisons and have the rating be clean we need to filthy this thing up a little uh yeah let, let's talk about uh fingering or something like that <laughs> something awful in prison. <laughs> i think if we have if we have an episode now we could you know we can put it under the guise of priya we're going to talk about priya right the prison rape elimination act and just have a horrible episode Ooh. of something you know and then maybe we can change that rating I don't want to feel gross afterward. Uh, there's, I, I, 
I want to be able to keep this light oh, and oh. we can make some jokes sometimes yeah. and there's nothing nothing light no, there. there. There's nothing light about this little news piece we're about ready to get into either. So I think let's get uh, right into uh, the the news on the right off that razor wire if we could. Fresh news, hot off the razor wire. All right. We've got a an awful story. Ah, uh, and it, it's one that just got a I'm sure has got a lot of people in Rhode Island scratch, scratching their head. But on Monday, January 22nd, at approximately 8:30, a firearm discharge involving an on-duty deputy sheriff occurred in the Sallyport area of the ACI intake services facilities in the city of Cranston. The discharge resulted in a non-life-threatening injury to another deputy sheriff who was in the immediate area of the time of the discharge. The in- injured deputy sheriff was transported to the to Rhode Island Hospital by rescue. There were no other ACI employees in the area, and there were no ACI detainees present during the discharge. So we've got an accidental shooting that occurred in the Sally Port. Um, and you know, an individual, so you have the, the accidental shooting that occurred, right? Which is bad enough. And then it hits another officer. Um, but you know, they are still investigating the incident. So I I don't know what they're going to find if, you know, if the officer right away said, uh, yeah, my bad. I didn't mean it. You know, there's not much to investigate, but <laughs> it's you know, it's just wow. This is this is awful. Um, but the 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 sheriff was hit in the leg, um, and the the wound is considered uh, non life threatening. So the the officer should be okay. But that's all we have right now on this incident at the ACI intake center um, in Cranston. So. That is fascinating. And yeah. from to the best of my knowledge, they have not released further details on no. the incident. No, I've got nothing else. Um, no updates. I'm sure they're going to release information very quietly because they want this to go away and not be in the news. <laughs> they they want the people uh, agreed. Yeah, they want the people of the state focused on our bridges that are falling apart. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, now, one thing I should point out, I, a lot of people listening to the podcast probably don't know what a Sally Port is or how, how it works. Until I worked at a jail, I didn't know how it works. So could you please explain Sally Ports to our listening audience? Absolutely. So generally, most Sally Ports, generally speaking, are a series of three doors. Um, they can be just two doors. And what happens is uh, one of the doors... Uh, has to remain closed at all times while the other one is open. So we look at a hallway. A simple way to think about this is a hallway with two doors at at each end. You can enter one door, and while that door is open, the other door must remain locked. Once you are in, that door is closed behind the individual. Then the other door can open up and be unlocked, and that door behind you is locked while that that door in front of you is open. a lot of places that are higher security have a series of three doors uh, in a row to go through. So you could go through um, an actual steel door and then enter a series of two gates 
to gain entry into uh, the actual institution when you're entering a prison. So you're going through a steel door, two gates, and then actually another steel door. But all this way, we can maintain order and we know who's who's where when they're entering these institutions. Um, the prison I worked at, these, these doors were all controlled by a uh, camera and one, uh, one computer. So a touchscreen computer uh, officer working that touchscreen would hit a would hit an open button and the door would open and everything else around it was still closed. So and there were no threat of, of escape at that time. But the main, normally the main sally port that we are talking about are two or three gates um, where we take inmates in and out of. Um, so the bus will pull in, uh, <clears throat> the gate will close behind it, they'll move forward again another gate closes behind it and then there's still one and then they'll offload the new arrivals into the intake center. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in short, it's just an added measure of security. Yeah. When, when I was a corrections officer at our jail, we would have to, we, we are able to swipe our key card to get into one door. That door closes behind us. And then I would have to push a button and wait for the eye on the sky, whoever's in the control room to recognize it's me. And then they can buzz me into the next door so I can enter the unit. And it was like that for any unit in the jail and or also entering the jail in the first place. So it, it's just an extra measure of security to make sure nobody's escaping. That Fantastic. It's, uh, you know, interesting that, you know, fancy uh, Massachusetts and Washington had you had your own key card in both places or just one of them. <laughs> yes, I am brushing dirt off of my shoulder, <laughs> expressing to the listening audience how fancy I am. See, in Kentucky, we didn't, we weren't able to do that. You just had to wait on somebody. We couldn't have our own key cards. <laughs> yeah, so the, the privileges of working at a jail are, are many. <laughs> uh, but that is the news for today. So it's uh, that's pretty much all we got. Wait, before oh. we move on, Uh-oh. I want to point out I have my own news. Oh, more as news. found in the Razor Wire RWU is extended. Magazine. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. That is some great so news. Our institutional, our institutional publication, the magazine of Roger Williams University, has a very interesting article titled Crime and Punishment in Louisiana. Yes, sir. About my man, my friend, my co host <laughs> with the co most, um, Eric Bronson. Uh, he taught a class that went down to Louisiana last year, and it has a nice detailing of uh, students doing a Cajun cooking class, a ghost tour, a jazz tour. When when does the the prison stuff come in there, Eric? Oh yeah, we we went ahead and we went to first off, we went to Angola, which is the or Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. So we went ahead and visited that prison. Uh, we spent a day there. Um, we did a tour of the prison, which is, it's the world's largest prison. It's 18,000 acres. It's absolutely massive. We toured that prison, which is, it's, it's kind of unique. And I don't know, um, Beck, if you've, you've done any of these prison tours that you've gone on that you've, the the tour starts off with getting on a van and driving throughout the institution because it's so massive and it's so spread out, but it is without a doubt the most unique prison I've ever been to. We went in. Went to uh, a chapel, um, met met with some inmates. They talked to 
the group of students so that they could uh, just tell them a little bit about the programming there, what life is like inside Angola. Um, both of them were in there for murder, I believe, um, and had one had been there for more years than all of our students had been alive. You know, it was like 25 years. One had been in there about 15. Um, and uh, it's just a great opportunity for our students to see uh, that these individuals are working hard, trying to improve themselves, taking advantage of what that prison has to offer um, in terms of rehabilitation. Um, and uh, after that, we, we went to an old cell block that they has been decommissioned there, but it's still on the property. They haven't torn it down uh, and saw the way things used to be in Angola, which uh, was horrible the way they used to run that prison. And then uh, we went over to... Uh, to the death chamber. And so students got to see the actual death chamber in Louisiana where they put, where they put people to death. Now, Louisiana hasn't executed anybody in a while, but, uh, they were able to see, see the actual room and where, you know, the, the execution scene in dead man walking was actually filmed. Um, and then, uh, you know, we got to drive through, uh, um, some more of the prison and, uh, students were able to ask a lot of questions and meet with staff and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great experience for them, uh, to tour this prison. Um, again, it's just, it's a very different place than what we're used to in terms of corrections, because first off, no other prison in the United States is going to come close to that size, be that spread out. Uh, the other, the other aspect that they were able to learn about is, is Angola's horrible past. It was a slave plantation that when slavery ended was very quickly turned into um, a correctional setting for uh, <clears throat> for the state of Louisiana, and uh, much of it, you know, thing things did not improve once slavery ended for um, the young African American males that were uh, sentenced there for who knows what, um, and, you know, when it was switched from a plantation to. Uh, a correctional, uh, setting. And, uh, it, uh, uh, you know, like I said, they had, you know, really, really good experience learning about that, learning about the prison, the way Louisiana runs their correctional system and their CJ system, you know, cause at, at the time we were there, 94 to 95% of the inmates there have received life sentences. And in Louisiana, that means life. They're not getting out. Um, so yeah, it was a great tour. Um, and then it also included meeting with, uh, sister Helen Pergine, who, who of course became very famous from the movie dead man walking and, uh, her book dead man walking. Um, and, uh, we got to meet with her and spend some time talking about the death penalty and, uh, her work ministering to inmates on death row, uh, there at Angola. So, uh, just just a fantastic trip and a great opportunity. First off, I had no idea it was Prajean. I've been pronouncing it Prajan for years, like uh, rhymes with Dijon. Um, you know, I've heard her say heard it, it pronounced out loud. I've heard her say it both ways, Prajean, Prajan. Um, I'm sure when she's oh, when no. she's in her Cajun mode, she definitely is saying Prajan. <laughs> so because she's from Baton Rouge. Uh, she grew up in Baton Rouge, and so you know that's Cajun country. So down there, everyone says Prigent, and uh, everywhere else in the country, they say Prigent. 
I was just listening to something about Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and the policing down there. Have you heard about this, where there was a, a warehouse where police would take and essentially torture suspects, allegedly? What? I've, yeah, I've... look this up. It's fascinating. Isn't... <laughs> and th- this this happened to multiple people who reported it, and I, last I checked, it's under investigation. All right, random question. Isn't Baton Rouge where Steven Seagal is a police officer? Isn't he producer Brit? I think that's correct. Uh, yeah, I have, I have both the seasons of a show on my server. I, I, I really think it. I mean, it's it's a it's unique place. So, yeah, uh, Je- uh, Jefferson Parish. So yeah, around there in Maricopa County, Arizona, for season three. No, well, uh, I you know, oh, I think he did. He get deputized by uh, that one Maricopa guy with. The- Cowboy hat, that evil Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Oh, Joe, oh. we we need to do an episode on Joe and his. I would love to. Oh, anyways, even like ten years ago, when I was interviewing for PhD, I I interviewed at Arizona State and talking to some researchers there who had who had done research on his facilities to see what are the effects of of his intense programming where he makes inmates sleep in tents out in the heat. He makes them wear pink underwear. He instituted chain gangs. Guess what? They found that there's no difference right. in recidivism. Right. There's, there's no deterrent value. No. Anything he's doing is just garbage. No, he just, he just, he, and he knows it. He just likes to, you know, be extremely punitive and an asshole. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, for sure. And word of mouth has it that he would he would come to classes and rant for ten minutes about how crazy these newfangled cell phone ringers are yeah. these days. Like, like, dude, he's he's a clown. Yeah. No. But I would love to do an episode about him. He is a fascinating character in criminal justice. Yes. Yes, he is. But returning to the other news, I think you know one of the things that we you know that, that we can take away from that trip. Um, is just encouraging students to really think about the way we do things in New England, the way we do things in the United States in terms of our our punishment. Um, and you know having having somebody a sister Helen is eighty three right now, I believe, and she's just as sharp as you know when I met her I met her twenty years ago, twenty one years ago. Um, just as sharp she's she's you know, she's an absolute pistol when you talk to her. She doesn't let the students just sit back and talk to them. And they, they, they're not allowed to be passive. She's, you know, she's asking them direct questions, making them participate in the discussion. She was wonderful. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I really, I, I hope we can do this again in the future um, where you, you and I take students down there soon and, you know, maybe this fall, you know, it could be October 20th for the rodeo at Louisiana <laughs> State Penitentiary. Um, and uh, that way we can take some more students down there to learn about a new culture and and actually, uh, you know, see the prison in greater detail. Let's make it happen. Yes, hey, sir. We're, we're taking this podcast on the road. Yes. Oh, that's going to be great. I, I think I think Britt should fly okay. over and meet us there. Yeah, producer Britt, come join us. A bunch of Zoom recorders. We could we could do it live. I could spend my life cutting it together. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or or we could just record from the hotel room. There we go. Afterward, there we go. Actually, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, 
make everything a lot easier than trying to get <laughs> radio equipment into a prison. <laughs> yeah, because they will they will look through your car when you pull in there for the rodeo. So pretty cool. Yeah. Shall we move on to the topic of the day? Oh, I'm so, so looking forward to this topic. All right. Now, Eric, if, if I were to say FF, what does that mean to you? FF? Yeah, those, those initials. Those initials. Boy, I'm trying to think about what those initials might mean to me. You know, I can't think of anybody. Would it, would it be? Fred Flintstone? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Or uh, there's so many things. We have feeding frenzy, oh. family feud, a flagrant foul, a basketball term, mm-hmm. friends forever, like you and me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fatal Fury. Yeah. Final Fantasy. Flashback Friday. Finger foreplay. There's, 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 no. there let's goes. abolish that, that rating. Right? Get is here. Gone. <laughs> but no, it, it is none of those things. Instead, that stands for. Family February. Family February. This month, we will be talking about families. Families. Oh, I love it. All right. And so, so families and prison relationships. So today, we're <laughs> going to talk about a few studies that have been done relating to children of incarcerated persons. And I would like to eventually get a guest on the podcast that is the that has an incarcerated parent or has had an incarcerated parent. That would be great. I, yeah. I know of a couple, and they should be able to. I, I would love to hear more about firsthand experience. What it's like. That that would be. I think it. You figure there's got there's got to be plenty of people that we could pull in um, that would love to you know take a few minutes to talk about what it's like to have a parent um, that for whatever reason they really don't have access to that. You know, that relationship is estranged because, you know, they can only talk to him on the phone every so often or go visit him every so often, or they're, they're locked away in, a, in another state or across the country. Um, man, that's, that's tough. Indeed. So let, let's get into the facts here. 95% of people who are incarcerated are going to get out eventually. But the war on drugs and Movements with get tough policies have resulted in the U.S. having the highest incarceration rate amongst all countries. And this results in a lot of deep breaks in family life. And so we have over 2 million children out there under the age of 18 who have at least one parent in state or federal prison. And we know that from a wealth of research, removing a parental figure from the household of a child can create emotional strain. It can create financial strain. And we also know from research that family contact during incarceration through visitation leads to lower recidivism rates. There are connections there. People are keeping, if, if I'm incarcerated, it's me keeping a foot on the outside. I'm not burying myself in prison life. So there is this pro-social connection. And we find that commitment to family roles after release can help former inmates develop these pro-social identities. And so we find that providing services to the family members of former inmates leads to all these positive outcomes for the former, formerly incarcerated person. We find decreases in substance abuse, fewer physical problems, fewer mental problems, fewer emotional problems. And family support can lead to help with employment 
and as I mentioned, uh, reduced substance use for former, formerly incarcerated persons. So first, I want to review a study from 2016 by Tasca, Mulvey, and Rodriguez called Families Coming Together in Prison, an Examination of Visitation Encounters. So the intro tells us the majority of inmates are parents. I, I found, I looked this up, and I found varying numbers over time. It is roughly between 50 and 70% of people have kids on the outside. Uh, but imprisonment reduces someone's likelihood of marriage. It's tied to these relationship issues and contributes to family instability. I just read a book called No Way Out by Duck Waverly. Did you ever read that one? I can't remember if I don't. I don't think I have. I don't think I have, no. It's an ethnography that takes place somewhere in the Northeast that he maintains as anonymous throughout the book. No, I haven't read but it it does a great job carrying on from Anderson's book, Code of the Street. And in it, he talks about how some men are just not marriage material. And a lot of these men are considered not marriage material by women of similar age or men of similar age uh, because of their incarceration history. It makes them appear more unreliable. And it also creates these financial strains. Imprisonment itself creates financial strains. The remaining caretaker, if we're married and you go to prison, I end up solely responsible for the children and I become this sole source of monetary support for you who is in prison. And that can be a real strain on families. And we find that incarceration of a parent leads to all these consequences for children. There's like mental health difficulties, problems in school, delinquency, and it can have negative outcomes like leading to this intergenerational cycle of familial imprisonment. Not necessarily leading to it, but at least contributing to it. But we find that visitation is really helpful. It allows people to communicate in person about parenthood, sobriety, family well-being. It is this opportunity to repair damaged relationships. And family members can settle the past, they can discuss the present and their plans for the future. Visitation is beyond important for people inside. It is maintaining those links to the outside. It is maintaining some some semblance of normalcy and links to the greater culture. So one of the one of the my favorite parts parts about going to Angola um during the the rodeo season. So for those of you who don't don't know aren't familiar with the rodeo at Angola Angola uh, Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola, we just call Angola, holds uh, a prison rodeo, very unique. Um, you know, they're the, they, they make, I mean, it's, it's a pure, pure spectacle. All right. Um, but they have a rodeo that actually takes place where the inmates are participants. Um, but there are two other things going on. There is a crafts fair going on where the inmates are able to sell uh, their goods that they make in the prison while they're there and you know hobby time or crafts time um and then there's a carnival that's taking place where the, the they actually have um rides for the visitors to the rodeo and they have you know all kinds of junk food like i don't know uh, fried coca-cola elephant ear yeah oh, fried coke have you have you had Wait, fried coke fried coca-cola oh yeah they do it it's no oh. yeah it's just Pure. How does this work? Is, is it like a like a soup dumpling? Fried cor- corn syrup. It's amazingly sugary. 
<laughs> that tastes like Coke. It, it's disturbing. But one of the things that occurs during during this is um, <clears throat> in the uh, crafts area, uh, during in the, the I, I don't know where you call it the the sale of the crafts the the store part of the of the rodeo um inmates are allowed to depending on their security level and their behavior their institution write-ups they are allowed to participate in the sale and be near their their goods that they are selling um some are behind a fence so you interact with them while they're behind the fence, the others are right out there with you, standing next to you. To, you know, you can talk to them about their uh, their their items that they're selling and what they're making. And anything generally, some are very willing to talk, some not as much. But um, one of my favorite things about this is you will see families that will use this as an opportunity to visit with the inmate. Um, I, and I know this is going to sound weird to the people who have not been there, that this takes place in a maximum security prison. It has been one of the deadliest prisons in America. One of my favorite things that I've seen ever is an inmate talking to his son who happens to be in high school. Um, and they were talking about football and tossing a football back and back and forth, which I'm sure when this inmate was sentenced, he never imagined that he would be able to play catch with a football with his kid ever because this, this guy is a life sentence for murder. Um, and he was because of the uniqueness of this prison and this opportunity that they can go in and buy a ticket to go to the rodeo. They were able to uh, just hang out during the day with, you know, this kid was able to hang out with his dad, talk about football and, uh, you know, as you're talking about, they were able to connect, which I'm sure for this guy who, when he went back to a cell, he was floating for days, being able to spend time with his kiddo. Um, just again, really unique. That's not normal, but, um, something interesting for, uh, for consideration when we're talking about visitations, uh, for family to prison. Oh, that is fascinating. I wonder what the, the search process is for even entering that part oh you mean that area with craft oh it's you just if you have your ticket you go in i mean they they take a peek in your car um but they tell you here's all these things that aren't allowed in and there's not much going on in terms of you know searching <laughs> i've never been searched when i walk in there that's fascinating yeah. you would think that that would be such an easy entry for contraband yeah but they, they, you know, they uh, strip search the inmates when they go in and out of the of the rodeo. So, yeah, yeah, of course, not everything gets picked up on a strip search, though, too. Right. You can you can pick up most things. Right. Right. But but there's still what is stick and seal. And if you think that's, about it, there's a wild. there's a whole lot of inmates that are involved in this uh, this rodeo. I think. I can't remember the exact number of inmates. It's somewhere close to 50 that are participants in the rodeo. There's probably twice as many that are involved in the carnival and uh, the fair. So there's a lot of inmates. There's a lot of moving parts when you're at this this rodeo. Again, when we go in the fall, you're, it's, you, it's going to blow your mind. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, this, this spectacle, as a social scientist, it's just 
you you kind of you just you cannot believe what it is you're seeing. For one, because you know it's lions at the Coliseum, and lions and Christians at the Coliseum. You know you've got inmates getting destroyed by a bull, and the crowd goes wild, right? So you can't. But then you have all this other stuff going on. Well, and you're like, I mean, here's a here's a great thing taking place where a family is hanging out with their you know, their, their family member who happens to be locked up and, you know, that doesn't happen at a, at a normal prison. <laughs> so it's, it's just so unique. You're going to love it. Now that's fascinating. I, I can't wait to participate and see what this is all about. Look for that in the fall podcast going on the road. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, let me Pris- jump back into yeah. some of the background on this study though. So we find that for persons who experience incarceration, many of them have these complicated family systems that they come from. A lot of families are fragmented before incarceration. And there's these enduring hardships that caregivers have to deal with. Like if you're a caregiver for children and your spouse is incarcerated or your partner or the the parent of your children is incarcerated, there's a lot of stress that comes with that. And when they, they find that when fathers are incarcerated, mothers are most often the caregivers and when mothers are incarcerated grandmothers end up most often the caregivers so there's this disparity where fathers are often just not in the picture sadly men 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 get up men are off the hook they don't just these these men are dogs (laughs) they're off the hook they just need they just need the little special ingredient (laughs) to to be deposited and then they're off the hook. They don't have to do anything. Yeah. Uh, So we have not really found many positive impacts of incarcerating a parent unless there is some kind of abuse going on. Um, But when somebody is incarcerated, we find that people can be counted on more often to be sober, available and attentive. Now, moving on to the idea of visitation, uh, they find that prisoners are substance-free, they have known whereabouts, and they're ready and willing to communicate for sometimes the first time in a long time. When people are incarcerated, they often claim that prison is going to be the only place where they've been sober for extended periods. It's this coerced sobriety. It's, it's a temporary solution. It's not treatment. It's not treating the roots of any kind of substance abuse, but it is at least this sobriety where they can be counted on at that time. We find that visitation increases the likelihood of family support post-release. It's correlated with these reduced levels of family conflict and caregivers give support and in turn expect prisoners to contribute their fair share to the family's needs. So they're able to fulfill some of these parenting responsibilities during the visitation periods. Now for this current study, the study that we're talking about examines interactions between incarcerated parents, caregivers, and children during visitation. It was done through a bunch of semi-structured interviews and caregivers of children who have visited an incarcerated parent in the Arizona Department of Corrections custody. Uh, There's a range of caregivers that are interviewed here, mothers, fathers, grandparents, other relatives, non-relatives, and the sample of 52 people was racially and ethnically diverse. In the findings, they demonstrate that family time is when the family engages with each other through meals and games. That can be helpful. They're recreating the sense of family with food, with play, with physical comfort, like holding hands or children under six getting to sit on the inmate's lap like uh, like you would with a parent and child, playing catch, reading stories, 
playing cards, looking outside, laughing. It brings some sense of normalcy to people. And physical interactions and activities they engaged in while visiting created the sense of togetherness. It made people feel more in touch with their family. The study also finds that attempts to bond are directed toward building and repairing relationships between children and their incarcerated parents. Um, these relationships may be strained. They may be non-existent in some cases. And most incarcerated parents were involved in children's lives before incarceration, but now they're seen as strangers due to long periods of incarceration. If you were locked up for even five, 10 years of a child's life before turning 18, that's a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. When thing, when, and the other thing is when you miss major life events, um, for, for an individual, they, you know, that resentment can, even if it's not something, a conscious decision, but when an individual feels like, oh, mom and dad missed my whatever, um, yeah, their, their eighth grade graduation, which, which I'm finding out is a thing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I talked to Eric's kids and they said they, they wish he was absent more often. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> He's around too damn much. Um, but it, uh, you know, that, that resentment sets in and all of a sudden, you know, as soon as there's some resentment, then, you know, the child doesn't want to, doesn't want to bond with the, with the parent. Um, so it can be tough when they, when they get back out of, out of, you know, prison and reenter society. For sure. And so they find these declarations of family responsibilities in some of the sample. 23 people in the sample said they, they recognize some of the sacrifices and costs that come with caring for children due to economic strain and other challenges. And they stated that the parental roles and duties that should be assumed by the incarcerated parent upon release give them an opportunity to be heard. And they, they demanded that the, the person incarcerated does better. Uh, there's also some messages of reform that some of the sample talked about. There were a couple dimensions here where the persons incarcerated talked about sobriety and improved mental health since they got incarcerated. And visits were used as teaching moments for children to dissuade them from the street life and a criminal lifestyle. So taking a glance inside prisons kind of the idea behind like a scared straight, even though we know mm. scared straight doesn't work. <laughs> but man, people love watching video clips of scared straight. That <laughs> does well. On, on... I've never watched scared straight. Have you? What? How have you I not know. watched this? Young for it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Producer Britt, have you ever watched scared straight? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've seen it on like, uh, they, they have it on like Maury and like Dr. Phil and stuff like that. Yeah. Those programs. Uh, yeah, I, you know, obviously the original, I've seen the original, but, uh, there, there are still places that really buy into it and they think it's, they think it's great. They're like, Oh, if we put these juveniles in front of these hardened criminals and let these criminals scream at them, it's gonna, you know, and threaten them because that's really what it is. It's the threat that, oh, well, you come here, we're gonna rape you. Um, that's the whole message that they're trying to get across. Oh, you will be my property. Um, Yo, that's messed up. Yeah, I, I mean, that's it. That's the whole program. I, you know, it's not like 
it's not like there's a real educational piece to it. It's a whole oh, let's threaten and scare them, you know, and you know that you're going to get beat up, that you're going to get raped, and that's it. That's all that they get from it. And for some shocking reason, you know, every other part of these individuals' lives are threats and fear as well. So imagine that. There's the input that that you know this is what happens. It's not going to scare them straight. Unfortunately, they're going to stay curved and committing crimes. Yeah, and there's no nuance to that message at all. It, it, it's all, it's all a threat, right? Right. Not and hey, prison messes up your life. Hey, this is a bad place to be. Hey, we're wasting human potential. It, it's it's missing out on so many bigger pieces of the the larger argument to be made around prisons. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, and and the findings for this for this study. Um, they found that caregivers can use visitation as this makeshift family therapy where they can confront multiple problems related to sobriety, parenthood, and mental health. They find that family dynamics can affect inmate behaviors during and after incarceration. It's central to offender rehabilitation. It's central to family well-being. And visitation can have effects on both sides. It's not just the person incarcerated. It's also the children and gives them a chance to rebuild some of these relationships with children, with their children. Not just random children. Yeah, right. <laughs> With their own. <laughs> Not just, hey, this child. <laughs> we found this child on the way in. <laughs> you want to cool connect though. with it? <laughs> Wouldn't it be that cool? <laughs> yeah. I mean, think of think but, of all the I don't want to be in a scary story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> no. No, you were at school yesterday, but we're still going to throw you in front of these people. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I've got another study here by Levine and colleagues. Exam- it's called Examining the Effect of Incarceration and In-Prison Family Contact on Prisoners' Family Relationships. And it looks at relationships with family and partners of incarcerated persons. Uh, the study was based on responses from 233 Chicago-bound male inmates before and after release from prison. And it was a four-state longitudinal study involving these in-depth interviews before and after release. And in the study, they found that 25% of the sample was married or lived with someone like they were married before incarceration. 61% had children under the age of 18. 36% reported having at least one minor child living with them. At least one minor child. One person had up to 20 or at what? least one person in the study had up to 20 minor children living with him. Imagine that trying to ha- care for 20 minor children. That had to have been like a researcher documentation error. Don't, wow, 20? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like, consider, imagine that though. Like, like that's no. 10 times the amount of children no. you have. <laughs> exactly. I can't, no, we can't, we could not handle one more child, let alone 18 more. Well, we, I mean, it it could be, you know, I'm, I'm a horrible person. We just can't, we couldn't do it. No. You know, when you're as bad as me, you know, you you don't want to influence anybody else. So, um, oh my, 20, no, there's, wow. 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 I mean, that's, what, what, what the heck was that show? Uh, oh, uh, 19 and counting that turned into 20 and 21 and counting, where they're just trying to get, uh, where they had all those kids, and they're, you know, the the whole theme is that oh, we have a lot of children, um, and that was it. Um, that was <laughs> the depth of the show. show. <laughs> um, I don't know. 
Uh, producer Britt, do you know this show at all? Um, I'm just wondering if you yeah, saw it. 19 Kids and Counting. Um, yeah. It's, it stars the Duggar family who have yeah. been, become yeah. like incredibly embroiled in a bunch of uh, scandal um, involving uh, like uh, sexual assault and things like that. And like shocking. Ancestral yeah Sh- shocking bad, that yeah that stuff yeah and i think they're like pseudo cult members right that something like that they're yeah, really know. yeah religious dogma is this yeah recently or something I want to say. one of them was in congress i think it was uh, i think it was jim bob duggar i think i believe that's the guy's name <laughs> he, he was a he was a congressman for a minute wild yeah <laughs> it is indeed wild um but i i'd heard of him and i kind of know of their legacy if you want to call it that i didn't know about this show though that's yeah rough no it was just horrible i mean just you know it, I'm, it was probably like an a and e or something like that um they was hey let's just throw money at this family because they have a bunch of kids I, it's uh no no depth to it obviously <laughs> pretty shallow <laughs> plot line we we, yeah. we just have babies <laughs> we're <a> baby factory <laughs> i mean i think the one thing you have there is you have 21 built-in characters for your show that's true you know and these are these are people who will probably be paid minimally and um the the younger ones probably not at all oh yeah yeah so here, great here's my that, big question when it comes to that many kids how how can I mean you've got to have money? I, how do you do it? I I mean, it's just how can you afford to live in this country with that many kids? I, or do you just not feed the kids? <laughs> you know, have Lord of the Flies down in the basement when you throw them and you, know, you throw them a cow carcass every once in a while. <laughs> if you can make it, you make it. <laughs> <laughs> I I read a book somewhat recently about um, it was the the Mormon fundamentalists, I believe, what they call themselves mm-hmm. in uh, Colorado City, Utah, and the book was called Escape by Carolyn Jessup, and she was a member of one of these families that had I, I believe it was over twenty kids. They they would like get around in a school bus. The mm. the dad had in in um, in the fundamentalist LDS. I, I'm forgetting the exact name of the religion, uh, but they allowed them to have multiple wives. It was the the sect that was run by Warren Jeffs, who eventually oh, okay. went on the run, were uh, having child brides and was caught by the FBI and died in prison. But he was still considered a prophet, and he would call in and give <laughs> give sermons. It was. The whole thing was so wild, but uh, just just to hear about like the logistics of how they make that work, and and they have some people just doing laundry full time in this house and making sandwiches full time in this house. That's that's a lot. Oh, wow. also side side note, you know what I miss is the guy who would be like, "What happened to the History Channel? What happened to A and E? There's no more history on the History Channel. We need <laughs> we need to bring that guy back." Yeah. <laughs> It's bur- the I mean, learning it, channel. I'm not learning anything. No, it's that's right. The MTV isn't music. <laughs> oh, great example. Thank you. Yes, right. MTV is no longer music. Fox News isn't news, it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. MTV's slate is like, what is even on MTV anymore? Besides I have no that clue. Ridiculousness show. I have no clue. I. It's like panel shows of people watching internet clips. It is, I, it's fine. It's, it's not for me. 
<laughs> it pro- MTV anyway. is probably not for you know the the Duggars either. <laughs> I, I just have to recognize at a certain point it's not made for it, it's not made for my demographic, and that's that's fine. I don't I don't need to be interested in a thing. I'm sure there are people who enjoy it, and power to them. And by your demographic, you do mean old. Yes. Old. Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> old, uh, good. old and wizened. <laughs> wizened? <laughs> now, uh, moving on. Let's talk about this. Oh, going back to the study. They were looking at the quality of relationships between incarcerated parents and their spouses and their kids. And if they were receiving any kind of tangible support from their families and their attachments to their minor children and their perceptions of support from their romantic relationships. And they found that prisoners viewed their families favorably. They were expecting to rely on them for emotional and tangible support and can typically rely on them during incarceration. Most of them had at least some telephone and mail contact from family members, 92% of them received telephone and mail contact. From their partners, 81% received telephone or mail contact. And children, 53% of children were in contact with the incarcerated person over telephone or mail. In-person visits was a lot lower. The partners were only 29% of partners made the trip for in-person visits. And other family members and children, it was about 13%. And inmates... The reasoning that they typically gave the prison is too far away and telephone calls are too expensive. And that is a real problem we run into here. You take, we especially find this problem when it relates to women's prisons too, because fewer women are incarcerated. You take any given state, you take um, Massachusetts, for example, there's only one or two women's prisons throughout the entire state. So if, if they're in Eastern Massachusetts and you live in Western Massachusetts, that's quite a drive. Yeah. And we, well, we talked about this in the past, but there's just too, it's just too far for some people to go, especially when people are caretaking for children and they may be working more than one job just to get by. Th- this is especially uh, true when you look at the federal system because you can get shipped anywhere in the country. Now, you know, the Fed, uh, you know, the prison systems, Department of Corrections, uh, for the states or whether it's the Federal Bureau of Prisons, they do try to keep individuals close to home. Um, but definitely for female inmates or definitely when you're, we're talking about the federal system, you know, you, you know, you could end up in a different time zone than where your family lives. And uh, that makes it really, really difficult um, for them to come see you. Yeah, that would be rough. So in terms of what they find here, they find that pre-prison relationship quality predicts post-prison relationship quality. And as far as visitation from partners, that predicts higher post-release relationship quality and support for these respondents who had these high levels of relationship quality before prison. So if your relationship quality is pretty good before prison, Visitations only help to maintain and nurture those relationships. It also predicted lower levels of relationship quality and support for respondents who reported low levels of relationship quality before prison. So visitation, essentially, these findings are saying visitation is going to maintain whatever level of quality your relationship was before prison, through prison, after prison. 
So what you're saying is my in-laws won't come and visit me in prison either. <laughs> Who would? <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, that's that's a good, but driving home the point, <laughs> yeah, they don't like you. They're not coming to see you. <laughs> I'm just like, producer Britt and I would come visit you because Thank we you. think that would be an excellent opportunity to podcast. Yes, from we can do a podcast and visitation. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll smuggle in some recorders through my butt cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Press record. You just gotta shift uncomfortably. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll a little for that one. Britt, why does this microphone smell different? Uh, so so the researchers find that any in-person contact and having frequent mail and phone contact that leads to significant predictors of attachment to children after release so children visiting children having that phone and mail contact with persons incarcerated is helpful for maintaining those relationships after release um, other interesting results, they find that the levels of family support and relationship quality are consistent over time, and they're generally immune to the effects of incarceration as long as there is some kind of contact involved. Contact with the family helps to improve relationship quality and level of family support after prison. And they find that contact with children itself is not necessarily a predictor of relationship quality of support, but it is a predictor of how attached and involved they are with children after release. Now, some of the policy implications we see here, prisoners' expectations about relationship quality and support were typically met and exceeded. When, when we separate people from their partners and their children, partners and children might suffer more during the incarceration period. And we also see that inmates' relationships with family and children can be improved by increasing contact during imprisonment. So allowing, opening those doors, having more opportunities for visitation I believe it's only three states that currently do any kind of overnight visits, any kind of um, conjugal visits even. Mm -hmm. That's crazy that it's so few because this is a thing that I think it was office space probably led to capturing in the national imagination where they, they mentioned conjugal visits and we go, <laughs> we go hmm, all right, that, that, that's a thing. But they just aren't a reality for most right. prisons. Right. And, and you know, it, when... It's, you know, we live in such a punitive country that, you know, we, we lock them up and throw away the key and also forget that when when we're doing that, we, we are disrupting the family. We're disrupting the community. And these are attempts to try and, you know, keep that connection between families, keep that connection to the community and understand that these individuals are going to get out um, and, and reenter society. But also there's the family members that are still there. So having some type of connection to the outside, it's, I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. So, Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's not treated as such. Right. And if you want to call a loved one, if you want to call anybody, it can be prohibitively expensive for many incarcerated persons. It, Definitely. I don't know the exact prices and I'm sure they vary across jurisdictions, but the, the contractors that they use for the phone companies, it, it's it's out of control. Phone calls are often limited to 15 minutes across prisons. And even then, it is a prohibitively expensive cost. I, I don't know, maybe 25, 50 cents per minute, which adds up very quickly. Yeah, it's uh, 
it's something where you know these companies that are doing this um is uh it, you know they, <laughs> they've got a real uh monopoly here on on you know the these these phone lines coming out of these prisons so they're able to uh um to really to really jack up the prices but there there what i know there was um there's been work being done by civil rights advocates to kind to cap that um and a great example was uh, a case out of out of dc um where um she had to pay uh i think two thousand dollars on average to talk to her grandson um who was locked up uh for manslaughter but the case, I mean, the case was old. It was like in 2000, 2002 or something. But the, uh, the I mean, the, on average per year, $2,000 for phone calls. And again, these phone calls, it's not like, you know, it's not like these are um, phone calls that are lasting 12 hours. They're short phone calls because, as you said, they're limited in length. They're, you know, 15 minutes generally. But in this situation, um, the FCC says that you know some of the time the highest fourteen dollars a minute i mean that adds up so fast you know fourteen dollars a minute for a phone call that's that should be something that is criminal um but uh you know obviously you got a lot of these individuals who are locked up who don't have the resources to um to make these phone calls if you have the phone calls to or if you have the resources to be able to to you know, make these phone calls, you probably had the resources to be able to hire an attorney and you're not locked up. Um, and so these folks, you know, they, they got the public defender and, and, you know, and unfortunately for them, you know, these public defenders are just, you know, swamped and now they're, now they're paying unbelievable amounts of money for, for a phone call. Yeah. It's just another case of kicking people while they're down that we see attached to incarcerated persons. One encouraging thing that we do see around phone calls in prisons is in December, Massachusetts actually became the fifth state to allow Department of Corrections inmates to call home for free. And they, they, so they became the fifth state to do that. The states before them are Connecticut, Minnesota, Colorado, and California that allow free phone calls for inmates. And hopefully we see this as a trend that catches on nationwide because it is outrageous that inmates are paying that much. And it's just another example of prison industrial complex going wild. I am, I am shocked that we did not hear states like, like Texas and Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, you know, Georgia, Tennessee, any of those um, just, you know, it's, (laughs) <laughs> think about those highly punitive states there's they're not going to allow inmates to call home for free um they're making too much money off off this so you know keep keep making that money yeah it, i think it's a real uphill battle for a lot of the states they're not pushing for any any kind of compassion for for inmates contacting their families even if it could benefit them on in the long run by building these family relationships and helping people maintain community on the outside, which ultimately can help with desistance from offending. Yep. 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 So it, it, anyway, the, the point of the study, it's important to encourage contact between inmates and their children and their partners since they are less likely 
to remain engaged with them during incarceration. And some of the solutions we have here, we, we remove some of the barriers to contact, allow more opportunities for, for visitation, encourage contact through programs to reinforce closer relationships with children or partners. So make programs like you, you want the, the, the dad and the kid to have a catch, uh, maybe have some kind of uh, sports program where they're allowed to come and, and join the parents for an afternoon every week or every month, anything. Uh, we could reduce the cost of phone calls or make them free. And we could also house inmates closer to the communities they come from. Here's a, you know, in, in, in today's technology, because this is something that um, that I think would would just you know be simple. Uh, it wouldn't cost a lot of money, and uh, would be I think completely uplifting for a lot of these inmates. Is we have um, youth sports, so if any of their kids are playing sports, but also you know if their kids happens to be in the play, so if they're in the theater, any you know band, choir performances, we have streaming services. And if it's something that, hey, um, we know it's an actual event, um, it's, you know, the the elementary schools is going to have their, you know, their holiday choir sing, and it can be streamed. Why not let the parent, because we, we know we have these devices, why not let them enjoy that? Um, why not let them stream, a, a, you know, their kids' baseball or soccer game just so that they can... You know, it's just something else they can pick up the phone then later and talk to them about and, you know, and connect with. Be like, hey, I watched you do this in the game. You're doing great. Why not do that? Because, again, it's all, all these youth sports programs now are, are streaming their kids' sports. And if they can do that, so can the theater, so can the, you know, the school, so can, um, you know, any of these activities that, you know, in hell, we could stream the science fair. Um, so parents that are locked up can watch their kids nervously present to, you know, the volcano when they're in the third grade, <laughs> but again, it gives them something to connect over. Yes, absolutely. Preach dude. That is right on track. <laughs> I, I want to touch on one other study very briefly by Wright and colleagues where the study was about buffers against crime and the study finds that. If we're looking at buffers against recidivism, what makes people not want to reoffend when they get out? And some of these buffers include relationships with family, friends, and significant others, because these relationships lead to support. They lead to social capital. They lead to motivation to do better and opportunities, these connections that they make out in the community. The effectiveness of these supports can be reduced due to some certain variables like drug use and uh, poverty, disadvantage, pride, shame, or lack of interest or desire to make positive changes. But generally, the finding is that these attachments we have to people on the outside are so important and they can protect against recidivism. And there's, a, there's plenty in criminology theory to support that. Yeah. So it's, you know, that, you know, obviously this, you know, this is one of those ones that it makes a lot of sense in terms of, you know, if we, when we are able to support individuals, um, you know, out in the free society, they're less likely to turn to that life of, of, uh, deviant behavior, criminal activity. Um, 
and you know it's uh it's also i think you know driven home though the, the point that you know the the absence of resources it's uh not only in terms of money networks um but family how, how devastating that can be for individuals eat prior to getting locked up and then when they come out it, it it makes such a big difference when they when they come out of prison if their family is there to welcome them if their families there to support them if they do have strong individuals um strong bonds that are willing to help them um you know, get reestablished in society that can maybe help them get a job. It's it that is such a key to um, to uh, to being successful. Couldn't have put it better myself, Eb. <laughs> now let's close the book on this topic for today. We'll pick up more family chat next time because it nice. is FF. It is family February. Family February. And producer Bray, can you put some like reverb on that or something? <laughs> Family February. Family February. Family February. Sure. Family February. Family February. Family February. February. (laughs) Yeah, there was definitely some echo there that worked. (laughs) Oh no, I I mean like like in in post uh, touching up with that works. Family (laughs) February. All right. Well, with that. Um, let's get over to our favorite part and I have been waiting so intently for these past two weeks to hear our next movie minute I am just almost drooling over it I cannot wait so this one was a doozy so I'm going to have to ask you to break the rules for me and allow two minutes for this movie oh I don't know can we do that indeed do you have a theme movie Wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold up. I, I thought you were going to play like a movie, movie, two minute. No, no. no I did not make it to that. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. No, 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 that's okay. Um, so let's put 120 seconds on the clock this time. Nice. Caged Heat 2, Stripped of Freedom from 1994, is supposedly a sequel to Caged Heat from 1974. <laughs> However, the only real connection the two movies have is having a women's penitentiary other than that this movie is something entirely different gone are the numerous shower scenes of its predecessor which are replaced by a political intrigue plot involving a fake assassination of a foreign dignitary and his princess daughter getting thrown in a prison called the rock in order to keep the dignitary at bay the cia is forced to hatch an escape (laughs) plot for the princess involving an undercover agent who plants drugs on herself to get locked up also with a reluctant american pornographer they get tossed in the prison which is expectedly filled with hot 20 somethings and a bunch of creepy perverts running the institution unlike its predecessor much of the nudity is mired in the fog of non-consent which is just very uncomfortable and not used to send any kind of message really bad the acting is atrocious plot is made but poorly shot shootouts and unnecessary scenes the directing is miserable and perhaps most alarmingly this film lacks the shower scenes and boobs of the first one this movie was about twice as long as it should have been 
I feel stripped of my freedom for those 72 minutes. <laughs> this movie sucks. One soup. One soup. Oh, my. That One is soup. a ringing endorsement. Awful. I, I, that might be our worst uh, review so far. Oh, no, wait. Let's go to prison, I uh, think, was... Oh, was that that might have been a single soup as well? Maybe a one yeah. and a half soup. I, th- I I actually disliked this one more than let's wow. go to prison. Mm. Let's go to prison was just a very bad movie, but it like kind of kept my attention. And there was like a couple highlights and decent performances. This one was just ugh. No, no redeeming qualities, huh? None, none, none. Okay. I really like the idea of uh, uh, subplots with the CIA and American pornographers. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a lot to throw into a plot, yeah. There, there was a lot going on here, and I had to just like put it all out there, and I had to like try to organize my thoughts. I'm like, I can't do this in a minute. There's just too much dog shit here. Um, <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I love that. I, well, I'd, I'll give it a miss. Well, that's the fun thing is that we we have two weeks and we get to hear about Caged Heat 3000. Oh, it's going to be glorious. That was, that's, that's 1,500 times Caged Heat <laughs> They leveled up, yeah. Uh, that's great. I, I love when they do that with the title. Do we think it takes place in the year 3000? <laughs> I, don't I hope so. I, I, I hope it's like, yeah, like Zardoz, but, uh, you know, with more shower scenes. <laughs> Yo, I'm looking up the synopsis right now. It's the year 3000 AD. No. Yeah. Dangerous women are banished to a remote asteroid 45 million light years from Earth. Asteroid prison. Okay. I'm on board with this. That's uh, fantastic. I'm actually kind of looking forward to it now. Oh. The tagline 3000 years, 2000 women. 1,000 ways to punish them. Oh, <laughs> that is terrible. Honestly, that goes hard. I'm, <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> maybe they learn hearing about the next one. Well, maybe they learn from their mistakes of Cage Teat 2, and there's a lot more shower scenes for you. See, more I CIA. Like, yeah. I, I feel like, like the mistake was calling it caged heat too because it like implies maybe there's some of the same characters yeah maybe like it's a continuation like at least spiritually of the first film but it's really not it just like i i feel like they bought the rights to caged heat in order to like you know sell more videos of this or something hmm. so sequel in name only yes yeah very hmm. much so. that's that's too well, bad producer Britt, we're glad that you watched it so we don't have to exactly exactly (laughs) (laughs) i love it Uh, all right that's been movie minute that's been the podcast yes thank you for listening please like rate and subscribe no don't even like love rate and subscribe love give us five stars wait what does it what does it cost you nothing let's give us five stars on six. your favorite podcast app. Give us six stars. Yeah, give us six stars. Yeah. <laughs> give us the most amount of stars Demand. that you possibly can. Yeah. <laughs> Demand it from 10. Apple and Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. If it's out of 10, give us six stars. That's probably what we deserve. <laughs> and let's change that rating, damn it. <laughs> give us 10 stars. 
or five, whatever the top is. I don't care. Uh, please like, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. And until next time, this has been Prison Breakdown. I'm Beck Straw. And I'm Eric Bronson. Lights, Lights out. out. Lights out.